Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I have a guest in the office today. Oftentimes, of course, we do this by phone, and sometimes we have guests actually that are in our office. But my guest today is in the office. Conveniently, she doesn't live too far from my hometown here in North Texas. And she has an absolutely unique, inspiring, and hope-filled story. And I think that there is a lot of people today that need to hear what she has to say. Probably very few people, if any, will have gone through what Miss Tanya has gone through, but we know that there are many people that have other struggles in many different ways. And uh, you want to talk about a story of struggle, but yet a story of overcoming and a story of inspiration, buckle your seatbelt because you are about to hear it. Tanya, welcome to today's podcast. Thanks for having me, Jay. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, my wife actually um, went to the same high school that Miss Tanya did. And uh, again, as I, I stated, she, she doesn't live too far here from our, our hometown. And really, Tanya, your story is known all over the city. I mean, everybody knows the story. Matter of fact, my wife wasn't able to come to the office today, but I think you're the only person that my wife said, I've got to be there today to hear that podcast. Oh. <laughs> so I hate to miss her. Yeah, I've told several people that you're going to be a guest in uh, – there's a lot of people that are excited about it. So we're going to jump right on in. Tanya, let, let's just start off with talking a little bit about your story prior to what we're eventually going to get into. I want to kind of wait and eventually maneuver there. But let's talk about your life and your faith before the accident. Did you come to Christ at an early age? Is that something that you started believing in God later on in life? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and then about how you ended up with a faith in Christ. Uh, I came to know Christ at an early age as a child. We were really, really wasn't a church-going family, but I would go, you know, and was in youth and that kind of thing. Um, then uh, early on in our married life, we attended church a lot, and then my husband started traveling, and that's when children came along and stuff like that. And did I have them in there every Sunday? No. Do I have regrets about it? Yes, but they both know Christ and yeah. attended Sunday school and church, but we weren't regular churchgoers. I guess. Right, yeah. So you, you came to Christ in an early age. Was that because your mom and dad, were they believers, or, or how did that come about? I just had friends that invited me to church and Sunday school, vacation Bible school, all the things, church camp. and Yeah. Now, without, without revealing this, this, this accident that happened to you, because, uh, again, I, I, I want to hold off on that for a minute, I'd be curious, do you think that your response to what has happened would be significantly different had you not have had that faith in Christ that was developed when you were a young girl? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's played a huge role in your response to that and, and even where you are today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking a little bit before today's podcast, and and again, as, as we get into your story, I it would be unlikely that many people could understand literally to have gone through what you've gone through, but again, in other facets of life. And one thing that I've, I've learned, yeah, I've been in full-time ministry now for, gosh, over 20 years, and 
so many people are struggling in different ways. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I think when we were praying spiritually, financially, emotionally, maritally, there's just a lot of people that are struggling and a lot of people that have questions. And I'm sure many people wondering why uh, God has allowed certain things to happen to them. So um, we're going to jump right into that. So let's talk about the actual accident. Can, can you give us details? And, and I actually know of the accident, but I don't know the details. I don't really know how everything happened. And so I'm, I'm really curious to hear the details. If you could kind of unwrap that day for us. I'm going to jump to a week before. Okay. I was in California visiting my husband. He traveled and uh, worked on the pipeline. And on a Tuesday morning, before my a week before my accident, I received a call from a dear friend's husband letting me know that she had passed away unexpectedly. So I immediately got on a plane, came home. A group of friends, we call ourselves a tribe, they picked me up at the airport. And we went to Archer City and um, was with her family. We made the video, did all the things, and I spent almost a week there. And, and I went back out to the lake where we live and was the first day back. And I had worked and yard work and all the things and just kind of, kind of regrouping and trying to absorb all that I had overtaken in a, a week. And uh, I was late. It was late in the evening. I was visiting a friend. And I wish I could tell you what happened. I don't remember. The medics and responders said that all I would say was a deer. And my accident was probably a quarter mile from our home. I was on a Can-Am, in a Can-Am, side by side, and I was not buckled in. I'm assuming that I swerved to miss the deer, and I laid it over. And when I did, it threw me out, and the machine landed on my arm. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, from a timeline, it was prob- I was probably there for two hours before at- someone didn't find me. They heard me. I was in and out of consciousness, and I'm screaming, I assume. Anything the medics and uh, first responders, everything they asked me, I knew. Phone number, Social Security, all the things, but yet I don't remember any of that. I was taken to United Regional to get stabilized because once I was stable, they transported me to JPS by helicopter. What's JPS? I'm not familiar with that. In Fort Worth. Oh, okay. John Peter Smith. Oh, okay. I was transferred there, and I had a severe fracture in my upper arm, and I had a laceration in my liver, bruised kidneys, broken scapula, broken ribs, and a lot of uh, road rash and things like that. I don't remember. For the first 10 days, I was in and out of eight surgeries trying to save my arm, and it became life over limb. I was not... My body wasn't responding. It was fighting it. Uh, They had even went to, they split my arm from the uh, armpit to my wrist. I think it's called debridement or something. But anyway, they tried, they did repair it, uh, the break, because they thought they were going to be able to save it. But they were not able to save it. But during those first 10 days, I really don't remember anything. I remember bright lights and oxygen masks, but yet I was communicating with my family. But I don't really, it's all a blur. I don't remember any of that. Once the anesthesia wore off and I could get up, I, you know, I was wanting that green light. I was ready to move forward. 
And my husband, he had to make a horrible decision. It became life over limb, and he's like, they were going to try to save it, but they said, you know, six weeks from now, we may back, be back in here amputation. And he said, let's just, let's take it off. You know, I don't want to chance an infection and it overtaking her body. And so that was hard for him. Of course. Um, my daughter, she, um, they immediately had a um, Facebook page over my progress and you could go there. And I think it was kind of an outlet for her. She, um typed on that daily and gave updates and think and I think it was good therapy for her sure and my son he was to he was to me first because he lived in Archer City and got to the hospital you know and was with me first but um once I got that green light that it you know okay let's go to work and that's what I wanted to do and my husband asked him he's like what are we looking at here in the hospital and they said with their injuries, age, that kind of thing, as a trauma team, we have to kind of guesstimate, and they said six to eight weeks there at JPS. Well, three and a half weeks I was transferred to Encompass here in Wichita Falls. What was it like? I mean, obviously your husband had to make a, a very difficult decision, and, and you did mention a side-by-side. For those that are listening, that there's a difference in a four-wheeler and an ATV and a side-by-side. We actually have a Can-Am side-by-side. I don't know. four-seater, two-seater? Six. Oh, six-seater. Oh, I mean, three in the – Three in the front, three in the back. Yeah, but yeah, four. Um, so it, it's a uh, it's not the four wheeler that you're accustomed to seeing people riding. That's kind of like a one seater. It's 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 a bigger vehicle. Oftentimes, people ride them in the mountains and first one thing and the next. Um, so when your husband had to make this difficult decision, now were you conscious at this point? Did you know that he was having to make this decision on his own, or did you not find out about? The, did you even know that that? that decision was in the process of being made, or were you incoherent? Well, I did. They talked to me, but the I don't remember that stuff. Yeah. Um, there was I was under so much anesthesia and, um, of course, pain medicine and stuff, but I was awake and coherent, but it's just something I don't remember. Right. So, really, your husband, when you say had to make the decision, I mean, he really had to make the decision independently of you because you mentally, because of the pain meds, et cetera, were not really qualified to make a, right. a decision of this importance, really about anything. Yes, sir. And so at what point did you did you know before the surgery when they were going to amputate your right arm, no less? Um, I assume you were right-handed. I was not. You were not. Well, yes, thank God for that. Yes, sir. Uh, but did you know before the surgery when they were going to amputate your right arm that that was going to happen, or were you not even aware of that? Well, they told me, and – I was aware, but I don't remember it. Uh-huh. But, I mean, yes, they the surgeon, matter of fact, my surgeon was a, he's a wonderful man, and he and I still communicate. I have his cell phone number. I give him life updates. I, um, he's just, he's been wonderful for me. Yeah. So, even though you knew, you really didn't, right. in, in a sense. And, and how many weeks was this from the time that the accident actually took place where the decision was made to remove your right arm? And I, I guess it's removed at the shoulder. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, ten days. Ten days. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's just, it's just. well, y'all probably can hear the ambulances running in the background of my 11th-story <laughs> office here. So the surgery takes place. Obviously, the surgery went well. At what point do you hit that realization? I mean, because you were to a degree incoherent. Was it after the surgery that 
even though you were told that now it begins to register with you that here I am a wife, I'm a mother of two kids, and I'm not going to have the use of my right arm. At what point was that? did that realization sink in? I would say probably a couple days, like I said, after the surgery when the anesthesia began to wear off and things like that. Um, you know, I knew then that life was about to be different. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was going to have to find it in me to figure out what was going to make it work. Mm-hmm. And when they come in to get me up, I, of course, had to have a walker at first because if you take an arm off, you're going to be off balance. And uh, I was like, how am I supposed to work this walker with one arm? You know, and so I said, give me a cane. So they gave me a cane, and I worked with that for just a little bit, not long, and then I just put it down, you know, and I'm driven. Um, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I'm just a driven person where I'm going to do it, whatever it takes to get there. I've heard that about you. But I've kind of, I had to learn the hard way on this one because what I did was I got to where I was ready to get out of JPS, but medically I couldn't just yet. There was some um, kidney issues and things like that that I had to get my numbers up before they would let me come from the other damages that you already mentioned yeah yes sir till I could you know get those things better before I could transfer up here and um once I got here Encompass is a wonderful place um and what is Encompass is that like a a rehabilitation yes a rehab facility now before we get there I I want to ask you what was it I mean, can, and I don't know if this is uh, possible to even describe, but because I can't fathom it. But once your, your your arm has been removed at your shoulder, and what, what is, is this a, I mean, this is probably a ridiculous question, but is this just a huge, not only is this a physical change, but how does this affect you emotionally? I mean, it, this has got to be a huge emotional roller coaster. It, I think the mental part of it has been, is, is still the, more challenged than what it has been physically for me because I, you know, I can remember the family had to leave. They couldn't stay at the hospital with me at night, and nights were the hardest because I had some PTSD. Yeah, of course. And that's when it would all come, and I would lay there, and I never really, I never really questioned God as to why it happened. I always, my question was, why did you save me? Because I could have been taken very easily. Yes, yeah, if we can, let's stop for a minute. Um, so I, I still want to get back to it, if if it's possible to describe that. And I don't know that it is emotionally, but and I, I would imagine that probably there have been many days of depression, uh, discouragement. Uh, but if if I may explain to me why is it? I, I don't know. I, the question. Why was the question, it seems unique that the question, rather than being, God, why did you allow this to happen? The question is, why did God save you? Why wouldn't God want to save you? What was the reason for that question? I don't know. He could have easily, it's only by the grace of God that I'm here talking to you today. Right. Because I could have, I was there two hours, this machine was on me, I was bleeding, um, 
all all of that and I I just I don't know that's uh, sure I, I I question why did it happen to me you know and it's like when I went back to work I'm gonna kind of speed ahead but we'll come back but when I went back to work you know I told I had an assembly with the kids and I told them you know my mom always told me there were going to be hard days and I'm going through some of the hardest days of my life right now I don't know why I won't ever know why won't know how it happened but you're yeah. at peace with that. You're at peace with, but that was one of the things that I was actually writing down a note to ask you if you ever got an answer to why God allowed it to happen. But it sounds like you you have reconciled that you haven't gotten that answer, but you're okay with it. Have you gotten an answer as to why God saved you? No, I, I'm inspiring. I. I have people reach out to me. I have total strangers reach out to me. They've heard my story. They've seen my progress on Facebook page. Um, recently, I spoke on a, a interview that aired on TV. Um, I'm exp- I'm inspiring people. I don't know, and I think that what drives me harder to work harder to push harder because I'm inspiring others but they don't realize how much they're inspiring me to keep working harder not just quit yeah does that make sense yeah absolutely well sometimes your scars become your platform and and your pain becomes your purpose and i mean obviously i i'm not qualified the the question is perplexing to me because as an outsider i go oh i of course i know why god saved you because he's not done with you because as you mentioned he he wants you to use you as a source of inspiration, as a source of hope, as a source of faith. Because as we said earlier, I mean, there's people of all ages that will listen to this podcast that probably haven't lost their arm, but they're going through another situation that for them may be just as significant. It could be a divorce. It could be they just found out they have an incurable disease. The list goes on and on. But to me, um, and it seems, of course, God would want to save you because Maybe even now, and I wonder if you've thought about this, is it possible, that, has it crossed your mind, rather, that maybe your greatest days of effectiveness, that the most that you can ever do for God's kingdom is maybe now that you don't have your right arm than it was before? Has that crossed your mind? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I believe that. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's, I, it, it takes me back that you asked that question. I think it's a, a, a unique question, and... um I think going through what you've gone through, I would have had a million different questions. But again, as an outsider, I, it seems obvious to me why God has saved you because I've been hearing about you and about your story, and I know it's already been a source of inspiration for a lot of people. And then I think about with what you do with young people. I mean, it's one thing to to tell young people about inspiring things, but it's another thing to be a living example that they can look at and see. Yes, I had a parent reach out to me after my accident, and I had went back to work. And she said, I'm so thankful that my children get to be around you, get to experience what you're going through, and see that even though being handicapped in whatever way, we're really all the same. You know, yeah, they have two arms and I have one, but she was so adamant that how proud she was that they get to witness that, that you can overcome and you can do it, you know. Has, ha, have you ever felt that 
when you think about, okay, well, my life is being an inspiration, maybe in a greater way than it was before. Um, I could have more effectiveness for God's kingdom and for faith than maybe I ever had before. But have you ever thought about it? Gosh, I mean, that's great, but I lost my arm in the process. Or are you okay with that? Well, I once I got home and I was just sitting around looking at all the things that I couldn't do. And I was finding myself getting in a valley that I needed to get out of. And I thought, you know what? I need my routine back. I need to go to work. So I called my boss, and um, I said, I'm ready to go to work. And she said, whenever you're ready. And I said, but I want I want you to do something for me. I want an assembly with the kids. They all knew what happened. Of course. And uh, they knew the story. And But I wanted an assembly with them to talk to them, let them see me, let them, you know, get that part behind us before I went to work. And uh, I fell right. I gave the assembly. I you know, I explained to them, look, I've, it's six weeks. I'm here talking to you. Really, I should, my doctors, they really thought I'd still be in the hospital in Fort Worth, but I'm here talking to you, and you got nine weeks to get that grade up. Don't think you can't do it. You can't. And this room full of people are here to help you. And I said, that's one of the hardest things I had to do is ask for help, and I had to have a lot. Yeah. And, um, and I just kind of put it on their perspective that it's okay. And if you have a talent, I don't care if it's tying a shoe, putting a pretty bow in your hair, share it. Because you never know when somebody's going to need that. And so I fell in and I went, you know, I went right to work and we I just never missed a beat. And then all of a sudden, a couple weeks, months rocked along and I was just, I was low. I couldn't. I couldn't figure out. I thought, man, I got it going on. I can do these things. I'm going to work. What What is wrong? And I always was told that it, I would probably need counseling at some point. And I thought, what's somebody going to tell me that has two arms? Hmm. You know? And so I went and seen my doctor, and I said, I'm at a place, and I don't like it. And I, I can't, I don't know what to do. And she said, I think it's time that you talk to somebody so I did and I I told the counselor I said I'm gonna be honest with you they were really encouraging me to do this and the reason I didn't want to come because I'd never used a counselor or anything like that and nothing against them they're wonderful they helped me but I said you have two arms what are you gonna tell me to help me and I gave her my story I told her all the things and she said you know before we get started, I feel like I've been at a rock star concert and you're the star. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she said, what I didn't do is I didn't grieve the loss that I went through. I was so adamant about getting up, getting on with it, and getting busy that I never really let it sink in. Even though I knew I was missing an arm, right. I never really absorbed it and let my body absorb it and go through that grief and do that. You know, and it made sense. And then when I stopped and did that and used the tools that she told me to do, it got better. So the counseling really helped you. Absolutely. What does that look like for, I mean, I'm sure there are people that are listening today that go, I've never dealt with blank, whatever their pivotal point in their life was. Maybe it's tragedy. 
what is that? What do you mean when you say um, allowed myself to grieve? Is that meaning to just deal with it, to acknowledge it, to cry over it, yes. to wail over it? Is it is it all those things? All the things, yes. Right, mm-hmm. and I, I would assume that process is different for everybody. I mean, I would right. assume for some people that may be days, some it may be weeks, some it may be months, or maybe even years. I guess. Right. And I, I would assume, based on what you're saying, you probably also would recommend, even though you were reticent to go to a, a therapy, that it's been a good thing. It's been a very good thing. And, and yes. you would encourage others to do that? Mm-hmm. Me, I don't care if you have an addiction. I don't care what it is. There's people out there to help you. You know? And you just have to reach out and let them help. Well, we actually have, um, we're on the 11th floor in a building in North Texas. And down the hallway, um, there's a, a counseling center, and I see people from every walk of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I would never mention a name, but I saw somebody yesterday, white-collar professional, that I, I was a little taken back. I don't know why I was. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we literally see young people, old people, blue-collar, white-collar. Mm-hmm. So I've always been a proponent for that. Let me ask you this, Tanya. What about um, – and I think we talked about this briefly, but we didn't go into any detail – were you mad at God, or are you mad at God about this? Yes and yes. And I appreciate the honesty in that, because I think some I people... I would be lying if I said I wasn't. I mean... And does that ebb and flow? Are there days that maybe you, you feel that... Yes, some day... I mean, every day I'm blessed to be here. Right. But some days, it's hard. You're right. It's hard. And, you know... And when I get in those times, do I question him? Sure, you know. Uh, but I just have to tell myself, he saved me. I have a purpose. I have something to do. Yeah, I love that. Somebody told me something that falls in alignment with what you're saying. Uh, when my daughter, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with my daughter was diagnosed with incurable disease. And, but I was so angry at God for so long about this. And I don't know why the light bulb, I mean, it's really a simple statement, but when, I don't remember who said it to me, but when they did, one day uh, I was being vulnerable with someone and said, I'm still so mad at God. I can't believe God allowed this to happen. My daughter didn't deserve this. This isn't because a consequence because of some stupid decision she made. There's no reason. And this person said to me in a gentle way, they weren't being, they weren't being harsh at all, but said, Jay, have you ever thought about rather than being mad at God, being thankful to God that he saved your daughter? Now, to be honest with you, when I heard that, it, it, in, in a sense, it kind of made me mad because I thought, what right do you have to say that? Mm-hmm. But as it sunk in, I thought it's a change of perspective. Yes. I mean, I can spend the rest of my life being mad at this incurable disease that requires a $30,000 shot every month. Or I can say, God, yeah, I don't like it, and I don't appreciate it, and I don't think it should have happened. And by the way, he can handle that. But rather than being angry at you, we knew she, several times. I mean, she was in and out of ICU for six months. Yes, so, Lord, I'm going I'm, yeah, to be thankful that you saved her. So I'm, I'm certainly not giving that as counsel to you. I'm just no, saying no, no. that when you said what you said about that perspective, it, 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 made me, it reminded me of that. Right. You just have to find the good. Some days you got to dig a little bit harder to find it, but it's out there. Yeah. What what impact has this had as far as your faith goes? You'd mentioned, you know, you you came to Christ at an early age, and and obviously you're a person who who, who believes in Christ and has accepted Him in, in your life. 
Do you feel like that this is something that has strengthened your faith, or do you feel like, no, I'm not there yet, but I think it will? Yes. I um, I feel it tugging at my heart, uh, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. I'm, there's... I mean, it was. It's been a year. That anger should be subsided by now. But I don't. I just have a. I don't know. It's it's hard. Yeah. You just have to question a lot of things. But like I said, I'm I'm blessed to be here, and I know that. So I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the new normal, the new the new way. What do I need to do? And you know, I. I have hopes that one day I can get to maybe Cook's Children's Hospital or the Scottish Rite to mentor kids that are missing a limb because I've been a year. Not that I was ever one to really compare myself to others, but I have yet to see one person missing an arm in a year. I've been a lot of places around a lot of people. Yeah. And I don't want those kids to be sitting in that hospital feeling what I feel. Some days, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I want them to know they're not alone, and it's okay. Even though I'm older, I still have that feeling at times, you know? Man. Right. Where is, where are they? I've been in contact with them. I've, through Facebook, people maybe working in a hospital that come across them and make sure that it's okay for them to reach out, us to reach out to each other, but I haven't physically seen one person missing an arm it's lonely mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm not going to say i can relate because i can't and and i know that there is no template uh, for grief for loss for pain for suffering i know you know it's like exactly my prostation he said you know what a thousand steps starts with one and take that next one and take that next one you know, and then I had a, a wonderful mentor who is paralyzed. He's in a wheelchair. Um, and he told me every second, every minute, every hour, whatever it takes to get through the day. On those hard days, take it, drop, break it down like that, you know. And uh, you, no one's timing you. It's not a race. Yeah. Yeah, it would be nice if there was a blueprint or an A, B, C, D. You know, you can follow this. Oh, yeah. And, and there's not. And, and like I say, as we talked about, a lot of people with a lot of different struggles and uh, a lot of different pain. And I think, I don't think, I know a lot of those feelings that you have are are something that many people go through. Right. With, with you hurt. know, they're, they're, there's people out there that, like you said, have different pains and stuff. And I know on some days they're probably thinking they're alone. They're really not. But you got to... You know, I feel sorry for the poor soul that I finally do see that's missing an arm because I'm going to hug him so tight. <laughs> I just, uh, I just don't want a child to. Even though they might feel that way, I just want them to know because it's lonely. Yeah. Well, I, I tr- truly believe that, and it just sounds it sounds cheap, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but I I I do believe as a person of faith that. God has an uncanny ability to take the worst of problems, of accidents, of struggles, of pain, and turn them into something beautiful. I've seen it over and over again. And, of course, a lot of that is based on our response 
A lot of that's based on our willingness to continue to have faith in God in spite of circumstance, which is a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to do. But as an outsider, I think about just what I've heard about you since this accident and the inspiration that you've brought to so many people. And I I think probably you don't even recognize the degree of which people have been inspired by you and by your story. And I, I think it's going to be a hallmark. I think it is a hallmark for a lot of people, and I think it will continue to be. And I believe that as you being a fellow believer, a, a sister in, in, in faith, that your greatest days are not behind you, but they're ahead of you. And that's just not you know, uh, something positive just to say. I mean, I think that the results are there to back that up already. And so... Um, but I do think that's obviously there's that process of, of healing and restoration. And, and I don't know about whether I think for some people that question of why eventually fades for me, it has in regards to my daughter, I no longer ask that it's taken a while to get there. I think for others it it doesn't. But again, I think a lot of that is, I told somebody the other day um, that was facing a, a very difficult situation. I said, not not being insensitive here, but really there is only one of two choices. It's either to press on and continue to follow God and trust God regardless, or it's to become bitter and jaded and angry and resentful. And ultimately, I told this individual that while I'm praying for you, that the outcome is going to be that in spite of God allowing something that doesn't make sense, that you're going to continue to love him and trust him, Ultimately, the decision's up to you. Years ago, I was um, I was reading the story. I've read the story about the crucifixion of Christ God knows how many times. But there's something that struck me that I'd never saw before. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, now here he is on the side of a thief on either side. Uh, he's been beaten with a cat of nine tails. Blood is oozing from his body. As a matter of fact, uh, he's sweating blood because his capillaries have burst. And most people know this statement that he made, and, and I knew the statement that he made, but I'd never dissected it. So here he is hanging on the cross. People have spit in his face. His own, his 12 best friends have forsaken him. I mean, all of hell has been unleashed. And he says audibly, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, t- people typically tend to focus on the second part of what he said. Wow, man, Jesus felt like he had been forsaken by God. He felt that. Now, of course, because he felt it didn't make it so. God had never forsaken him, but he felt like it, and so those feelings were legitimate. But this is the part that resonated with me. I'd never thought about the first thing that he said. And the first thing that he said was, is, my God, my God. It was as though, he, to me, he was saying, in spite of this pain, in spite of this suffering, in spite of the fact that I'm dying for things that I did not do for people who don't deserve for me to die, you're still my God. And that's kind of been my perspective in that just the adversities that have been in my life and my family, that I want to be able to say, and there's days that I don't, but overall I want to be able to say, you're still my God. Regardless of what happens to my kids, to my ministry, to my daughter, to my wife, to me, I want to be able to say, and again, nobody's perfect, so there's days that 
I haven't felt that way, and I haven't lived that way. But I want to be able to say, no matter what, you're still my God. It doesn't mean that I understand something, and it doesn't mean that I'm happy about something. But yet, at the same time, I've also met people who've gone through terrible tragedy that have said in hindsight, looking back, I wouldn't change it. Do you think that's a possibility? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Recently, you know, I... um we lost a student to a tragic car accident and uh, a six-year-old, six-year-old little boy. And as I said at the funeral, I was, oh, I just became overwhelmed. And I questioned God then, why did, you know, you could have taken me and not this little guy, you know, and that was hard to. I can re- I can remember my mom. She, I lost my mom at fifty eight years old, and uh, she had lung and bone cancer. And yes, she was a smoker, but yet I seen older people smoking, and and I would look at them, and I was angry. My mama was just fifty eight years old, you know. Um, I think we all question. No doubt. I mean, but like you said, you gotta you gotta have the faith to keep push them forward and find the good and figure out what your plan is. I mean, we don't, we may never know our plan, but you just got to keep pushing that way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, I think, I think as a person pushes in to their faith and to their God, that he begins to reveal that. And while everybody would like a, a 10 year blueprint, it's not reality. The flashlight only shines as far as it's pointed. And, uh, like I say, you know, I, I know you're being uh, a huge influence even now. And I think even what you talked about, that survivor's guilt, that, that's something that you, you hear oftentimes where people question sometimes, as you did, you know, why did this happen or why did it, why did you rescue me as opposed to someone else? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly no, I'm certainly no therapist and no counselor, but I, I do know that those are, are valid and, you know, that's the great thing about the Lord, that he can handle all that. Right. He can handle all that. I was told early on um, that once, I don't have a lot of residual limb, but I do have some, and I'm borderline whether or not I could use a prosthetic. And I just recently uh, got my prosthetic about a month ago. And I can remember when I drove home, I've uh, got it down in Dallas, and I, the first time I brought it home, when I got home, it had it was like I had ran a marathon, and I'm not a runner, <laughs> but I was mentally and physically exhausted. I had to go to bed because I had something in front of me, and I couldn't use it. And that, to me, was harder than waking up and not having an arm. Because, like I said before, I'm a doer, and I want to get it done, and I want to figure it out and find a way. But with this prosthetic, it's not that way. And I think God is working in me, slowing me down to not only with to work with this prosthetic, but to, like the kids at school, you know, um, just take it all in a little bit more. You know, does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, but it has, I would, was telling my husband 
that it this has been more mental and physical, this part of it, than losing my arm. Is that something? And they, and they told me that it I would go through a whole nother wave of feelings, all emotions, all the stuff. And I thought, I'm going to have it whooped, and I'm going to put this on, and I'm going to get to work. Well, it don't happen that way. Uh-huh. And I and I was recently this last weekend visiting with a gentleman who's a hand surgeon and he said, You gotta let your body accept that prosthetic and you hadn't done it yet. And it may take who knows how long it's gonna take. You know? Yeah, so do I understand correctly that when you say, you know, you got back home and you were exhausted, was that just because of facing the reality that you were going to be using a prosthetic? Is that what it was? Yes, and I had I had three consultations before I I actually started the fitting process. And on the third one, I told my doctor, I said, when I first came in here, all those things I wanted to do, I'm doing them with one arm. I don't need it. And um, I was able to get some assistance with, you know, the purchase of it. And I said, someone needs legs more than I need this arm. They need that money. And he said, well, I've never had anybody tell me that. And he said, that's great. He said, but when you got up for the first time, you were off balance. And you kind of had to get your wits and figure out how to walk. And he said, you're still off balance. Your body's just compensated for it for a year. And he said, you're young. You've got a lot of years ahead of you. And he said, you're going to wear out your spine. You're going to start going to one direction. If you just use it for balance, I think you need it. I went home and discussed it with my husband. He said, you know what? He's been a doctor longer than you've been an amputee, and I think we need to listen to him. <laughs> you know? And I don't really know right now. I can't tell you how much I'm going to use it as far as doing a particular task. I'm opening and shutting it and bending the elbow, and now I've started to pick up things and move them. Um, but I had to tell myself, again, it's not a race. No one's timing me. And so what if a year from now I'm still just opening the arm, bending the arm and opening and closing the hand? So what? I have it. I'm working on it. But I will tell you this. Today uh, was the first day of school. The kids couldn't wait to see my robotic arm. But it was a lot. Yeah. Well, as I'm sitting here talking to you and I don't have it on, my residual limb, and I also have a phantom arm over here. It's not, I mean, I can't see it, but I can feel it. It's bent. I can't straighten it. I can't open or close the hand. It's like a big a boxing glove on my hand, and it's telling me today. It was, it's overstimulation. I don't know what, but it was a lot. Yeah. And so it's just something that I'm going to have to work through, and I, you know, the same goes to you guys out there. If it's grief, if it's divorce addiction whatever you just have to slow down and allow yourself to get through it yeah it's um i would have never thought i mean i've never had an in-depth conversation with somebody who's lost their arm but i never would have even thought about some of the collateral that you mentioned i.e that when you first started walking that you were out of balance i would have never even thought of that or the fact that if you don't wear a prosthetic at some point to some degree that it can affect your spine. I, I just would have never even known. I never. You wouldn't think, oh, you know, a, an arm would have that much effect in regards to your balance and your spinal cord. 
do you think, Tanya, that while there have been some of those um, questions towards God and even the anger, that there are other ways that you've experienced him in positive ways that you never had before the loss of your right arm? Yes, I've uh, had total strangers reach out to me. Um, Just recently, I had one reach out to me about a book, uh, about a surgeon who wrote a book, a true story about an amputee, and he had an idea, and he went with it, and it changed this person's life. And um, so that, to me, was a blessing. I've immediately when I became amputee boy, I was looking up all the things, what groups could I get on reading all the stuff. And I've yet, it's been a year and I'm, I didn't even know this book existed. And someone, I don't, I think she's in Ohio or something reached out to me, heard my story, reached out to me and I couldn't put that book down. And as I read it, I was laying in bed and it was my husband and he was on his phone and stuff. And I was, that book was speaking to me. I said, this is a God thing. This sounds so much like my story. And I would ask him, did I run a fever? Did I, you know, and um, so absolutely, yes, it, he, I see it. I'm yeah. seeing it. Yeah. That's great that, you know, it, that in big and small things that you're able to see the Lord. And maybe, maybe those are ways that you might not have so easily detected him, do you think, before mm-hmm. the accident? Right. Uh, and that's got to be worth a lot. What would you say? I mean, I, again, I, I doubt anybody is facing the loss of a limb, possibly. Who knows? Um, what would you say to people? I mean, I love you're sitting across from me, and I, you have on a shirt. Of course, our, our listeners can't see. I may take a picture of the two of us, if you'll allow, when we're done here. But she has on a black shirt that has gold lettering on it, and she's sitting across the desk from me. And it says in big capital letters, let's not go, but go, which is exactly what you've been doing. Let's go. What would you say to people, again, that are facing their own trauma and they're doing dealing with their own PTSD, they're dealing with their own questions, their own anger, their own where is God, their own is maybe even looking for a reason to live. What, what would you tell them? I mean, do, do, is there something specific? that you would say um, outside of holding on to faith? Maybe you might, who knows, you might even say get therapy. What, is there anything particular that would stand out? I would say for sure if if therapy is available to you, go try it. Go try it. Um, and regardless if you think you're alone or not, you're not. There's somebody out there that wants to help you. Um, I had a whole army of God praying for me. I had the biggest support system I've ever seen. You know, as you probably know, too, when your daughter was sick. I was seeing you guys' story. And uh, find those people. Yeah, that's great advice. And I'm assuming that there probably is a network of people, obviously outside of your husband and your kids, that have been, as you said, that they've prayed for you, they've locked in, tried to reach out. And that, that means so much. Uh, it's such oftentimes a deterrent to some of those feelings of helplessness and, and hopelessness. Well, Tanya, I love your story. Do you, is it okay if our listeners connect to you via Facebook? Do you do Facebook? Do you do Instagram? Yes, 
Yes, sir. Yeah, and and, and of course, Tanya's first name. Tanya, how do you spell your last name? M O O N E Y. I would encourage you. Feel free. Tanya says, reach out to her. I would. And my progress page is Tanya Mooney Progress. You can go on and read my story, see all the inspiration. If you're needing inspiration, it's there because they would send send it, post it daily, as you know, you know. And it's great to have that to to go back. No and doubt. On a on a on a hard day, go back and because you never know what's going to catch your eye. You know, maybe you've read it a thousand times, but there's something yeah. you've missed. You know. Well, feel free to reach out to her. Tanya, you are really, as I said, I mean, it's not just talk. You're an inspiration to so many. Thank you. And uh, even sitting here across the table from you, uh, somebody, believe it or not, you mentioned Rockstar. Somebody told me about you about a week ago. Um, I was discussing that you were going to be on the podcast, and somebody actually said, she is a rock star. <laughs> uh, I love your attitude. I wish people could actually see you and, and be in the room that in spite of, such a terrible tragedy. I mean, you had a smile on your face the whole time since you got here. There's such a positivity about you. And I know part of that's your faith. And I know part of that, too, is is your, your network of people that support you. And I know part of it's just who you are. I know you're a go-getter. <laughs> and the fact that you're already at work and you're inspiring others. Reach out to Tanya. Thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Thank you for having me. We'll catch you next time on Taboo Talk with Jay Lauder.